this is your first time here this morning, we're in a series right now going into this uh, season where we're preparing for Easter called Impossible. Impossible. It's about looking at Jesus. I'm just used to music playing. My bad. Uh, it's looking at the story of Jesus and looking at how he is, you know, God in human form, the God of the impossible. He makes so many things that are impossible possible. And we're looking at specifically the story of Jesus through the Gospel of John. Our New Testament has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the story of Jesus. And we're looking, we're actually walking through the fourth Gospel of John and looking at the life of Jesus. But not just looking at every story about Jesus, specifically looking at the stories of his miracles that he performs. And out of all those Gospels, those four Gospels, there's 34 miracles recorded, some in some Gospels, some in others, 34 miracles in those four Gospels. But for some reason, I think the Holy Spirit has a reason, that's why we're having this series, John highlights seven of them, seven of these miracles that he calls signs. And these seven signs point us to something, these miracles point us to something. He shares this actually at the end of his Gospel, he tells us why he has these seven signs in his, in his uh, gospel, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the ones that we're about to see, so that you may have, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's our hope this week, and that's our hope every week during this series, that as we look at these signs, we would, be, we would confirm in our hearts again, or maybe even for the first time, that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and also that we may have life in his name. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, you have eternal life in his name, but you also have life in this life. He brings an abundant life. I truly believe following Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And that happens even at the same time that you pursue him and have eternal life. And so we're looking at these signs, seven miracles, seven impossible miracles that were made possible by Jesus, by Christ alone, by the power of God. And there's a big idea that we've been looking at. Every single week, this idea goes throughout the entire series, even as we look at what the story itself tells us. And this big idea is this. We don't just seek miracles, we seek Jesus. We don't just seek after the sign, we seek after the Savior. And as we seek him with all of our hearts, I do believe it, that the supernatural power of God can take a hold of our lives. I believe he still does miracles. I believe he can still transform us, but we seek him. We don't put the priority on the miracle, we put the priority on the Messiah. And so we're going to do that again today as we look at yet another miracle. So would you pray with me as we get started this morning? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for revealing yourself in your word through this gospel of John. And Lord, I would just ask as we're all here gathered today, we just sang our hearts out to you that you would put out the distractions that maybe we have, that you would open our minds, open our hearts to what you have to say, Lord, that whether the people gathered here this morning, this is their first time or it's, they're not even sure if they, what they believe yet, that Lord, you would speak to their hearts. For those of us that have been following you for a long time, and maybe even this story we're about to look at this morning is normal. It's something we've heard so many times that maybe it's lost its power. That, Lord, you wouldn't allow that to happen this morning, but that we would be yet again transformed by your word. So, Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, come fall afresh on each person gathered here this morning. And don't allow this time 
just to be a time of transfer of information, but Holy Spirit, bring about life transformation in our lives. Lord, I beg you, Lord, we need to see this country come to revival. We need this country to come to renewal. We need the hearts of every person to be pointed to you and surrendering to you as Lord of our lives. And Lord, it's, it, it starts with us. It starts with each one of us gathered here. So Lord, work in our midst. Work through me. I can't do this alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I, was, I was trying to figure out how long ago this was, but I'm, I'm put it on about eight years ago. I was in my last year as a police officer. Those of you who don't know, I, share, I served as a police officer for 10 years before God called me to ministry. And um, I was in my last year of police officer, and I had this really, really horrible day I'd like to share with you today. So I just thought we'd start off on a good note. Um, <laughs> an impossible day to have here. So I had just finished. I was in the 11th hour of three 12-hour midnight shifts in a row. And I, and I was ready for this whole week to be over, that whole time to be over. I was exhausted. I really needed sleep. I was just, the kids were, the kids were little. I, we didn't have Madeline yet. We just had Lydia. She was little. I watched her on my days off so Jessica could go to work, so I never actually had any time to rest. And it was the last, last hour of this final shift, and I get a call for a one-and-a-half-year-old girl in cardiac arrest. And I, so I go there. I, I was just ready to, you know, take the belt off, the uniform off, and go home to sleep. And this happened. We, we, we arrived there, and there's this little girl, and I kid you not, she looked exactly like Lydia, exactly like Lydia, and she wasn't breathing. And so I end up going in there, and I end up doing CPR, because I get choked up. If you're new, I cry all the time, so you'll get used to it. Um, I end up doing CPR on this little girl, and it feels like I'm doing CPR on my own kid. And so we get, we get her, we get her uh, pulse going, and the ambulance comes, and they take her away, and about 10, 15 minutes after, after that happened, as we're asking the family what's going on, uh, they let us know that she died. And my heart just sank. Just sank. Not only did I need sleep, but now I needed, I needed to try to get past this. And I needed comfort. I needed words for this family. I needed, I needed encouragement in my own heart. And so I started just to do what we do. We, do, we, we did the investigation. We met with the family. And then we go, we go back to the station, and the chief calls us into his office, me and my buddy who was on the call with me. And he says, I need to talk to you. And he asked if we're okay. And I was like, what's going on? Like, did we do something wrong? And he's like, no, the, the, the ambulance, or I'm sorry, the hospital just called, and you need to go down there. Because the reason this little girl died is she has this disease. And it could be fatal, and they think you have it since you did CPR on her. And so I went from needing sleep to needing hope. Now I needed a miracle. And so I remember, I, I, it's now 14 hours into this day, and I'm driving down to the hospital, and I call my wife, and I tell her, I may not be able to come home. I may not be able to see you guys. And so I drive all the way down to the hospital, and I get down to the hospital, and in the middle of that drive, I just broke down. I just broke down. It was too much for me to handle. I just needed something. I needed some peace. I needed God to speak into the situation because I had nothing left in me. And so we got down there, and 
as I was down there, I just started praying, and I just asked the Lord. I just said, Lord, I just need, and I didn't even know what I needed. I just needed to feel better than I did in that moment. And I got down to the hospital, and the doctor eventually came out and said, the test came back. You can go home, but you have to have this shot. You need to come back in like three times in order to have these other shots. And I ended up being able to go home. But in the middle of all of that, it was like an hour and a half, two hours of an emotional roller coaster. And all I could think the entire time was that I felt frozen by all of these different things that were coming up. And I just needed, I needed sleep, I needed hope, I needed God to break me through. And it seemed like an impossible situation. As we think about that, as I share what's probably a pretty, pretty crazy story with you this morning, I want to ask you this question. Maybe it's not that bad, but what's your greatest need today? What's your greatest need today? Where are you today? Do you have a need in your life that maybe is crippling you the same way all of those needs cripple you? Do you have a need for maybe physical things? Maybe you need more money. Maybe you need a home. Maybe you need to have some hope in your life. Maybe you just want to say to me, you know what, Pastor? Actually, today I just need life. I need a better life. The pressures of life, my problems in my life are so bad that, you know, everybody comes in here on church on Sunday mornings and I'm, I'm smiling just like everybody else. But to be honest with you, I really need a break in this life. And you know what, also, Pastor, it's so bad right now that the only way I ever feel like I get a break is either I check out watching TV or I find a break in a bottle, I find a break in a pill. That's what I need more than anything this morning. Or maybe you just said, I need satisfaction. If, it's honest, if I'm honest with you today, if you're honest with me today, you'd say, I need satisfaction. I am dissatisfied. I thought I would be someplace else in my life by now. I thought I would have a better job. I would think my kids would be more behaved than they are. I would think that things would be better for me. And you know what? The way that I deal with this lack of satisfaction is I pursue the lusts of life. If I'm honest with you, maybe that's not the language you use, but you pursue the physical things that bring you joy. You, you, you pursue more food. You pursue more pleasure. You pursue all of these things, and all you find is each time you pursue them that you just feel guilty, you actually don't feel full. Or maybe you'd say to me, I need affirmation because I don't actually feel like a good mom. I don't feel like a good dad. I don't feel like a good worker. I don't feel like a good Christian. I need someone to speak in my life this morning because the opinions of others matter to me. Maybe if I'm honest, and maybe if you were honest, they matter a little too much to you. And you need affirmation this morning because you don't have what you need and you're looking for the affirmation of others. Maybe you would even say to me that what people think of me, their opinion of me, is, is more important to me than I'd like to admit. What's your greatest need this morning? Second question with that is, when you have this need, if you have this need, whatever it is, where do you go to have it fulfilled? Now today we're going to look at another miracle this morning, another impossible thing that God made possible in John 6. And as we turn there this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me there. Uh, the words will be on the screen though. Um, as we turn there, we're going to look at a group of people that had a great need. We're going to look at how Jesus met that need, and then we're going to look like we do each and every week, on how this actually could make a difference, what Jesus does here could make a difference in our lives and with our greatest need. John 6, chapter 9. So John writes this, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now let's set this up. What's after this? We started halfway through the story there. 
After this, Jesus, what happened before this was Jesus had just brought his disciples away with him for a time with just him and his disciples. He did this often. And we know from the other Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke that the disciples had just finished being sent out by him to do ministry. And so as they came back from doing ministry, from healing the sick, from casting out demons, Jesus pulled them aside to talk to them, to have a little debrief after they had their time in serving them. Not only that, but another gospel lets us know that Jesus had just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, was killed. That he was beheaded. And so Jesus and his disciples had just pulled away. And then it says, after that, they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. And so they arrive on the shore of the sea. And John tells us a large crowd was following them. Basically, they pull up in the boat onto the shore. And there's a whole lot of people. And one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus sees them and he's, he has compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. Luke tells us that he starts healing them and performing healings on all of these people. There's a ton of people all there. And it says because the crowd had saw the signs that he was doing with the sick, they were all gathered there. And so Jesus went up on the mountain. And there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. That's a little bit interesting that John would add that, the Passover. But let me give you a little context. What's going on is there's a season in the life of the Jewish people during the time that this is all happening where they would celebrate the Passover. Now those of you that remember this, this will be review if you've never heard this. When the Jewish people were in captivity in Egypt and God was doing his signs through Moses, and to convince the Pharaoh to let the, the Jewish people go, there was the Passover, where they killed a Passover lamb, they put the blood over their door, and the angel of death would pass over the Israelites' homes, and, and then ended up, the firstborn of the men in, uh, in Egypt died. But each and every year after this, the Jewish people would celebrate the Passover, and they would remember, they would remember that God delivered them from slavery. They would remember that God would do impossible things. They remember that God was always going to help them, that they were God's people. And they would remember this year after year. And in the middle of remembering all of that, there was also an ache in their heart as a collective nation. Because they knew that God had promised through the prophets that there would be another leader like Moses that would lead them out of slavery. There would be another Moses that would come, that would be a prophet to them. And he would do things even greater than Moses. And they believed he was called the Messiah. And so as they remembered this, just like we're looking forward to Easter, and maybe we think more about Jesus' resurrection every single year as we, as we go through this time of year, they would think as they go through the Passover more and more about their desire to see Christ, to Christ come, the Messiah to come, this new Moses to come. And so this is important to this story now. So we'll come back to that later. But this is what's going on in the hearts of the people, even as they're seeing Jesus doing all these signs. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and then... Seeing a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. So, so Philip, Philip's a native of this area. We know from history that Philip is a native to Bethsaida, and so he would have known where the closest place to get food was. So that's why Jesus asked him. He also, Jesus knew that Philip would know that it was, that it was too far away to get food and where they were compared to where food was, was going to be impossible to go there. And so he says, 
John tells us that he said this to test him because he wanted to know, just like God wants to know, the question we're asking this morning is where would Philip go in his head and in his heart when he had a great need that was too big to be met? Where would, where would Philip's mind go? Where would Philip's faith go in that moment of need? And he said it to test him. And Philip answered probably like most of us would. He said 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough to feed all, to, to eat I'm sorry, it would not be enough for each of them to get a little. It wouldn't be enough for everyone just to get a little morsel of bread, 200 denarii. That's half a day's wages or half a year's wages. So Philip's like, I'm not even going to talk about how far away the grocery store is. There was no grocery stores, by the way. But I'm not even going to talk about how far away that is. I'm going to tell you that we don't even have enough money, even if we had food locally, to be able to feed all these people. This is an impossible problem. And so what does Philip do? Do you think he passed the test? No, he didn't. He looked at this problem, and he looked at this need, and he said, I, I don't know what we're going to do. Thank goodness Andrew had a little bit more faith. John tells us one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five, lo- five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So Andrew's like, I stole this little kid's lunch. Maybe this could help, Jesus. Right? He's like, I don't know. Five barley loaves, two fish. What do we got here? Now, it's impossible. It's possible that's not how it happened, but I like to think that anyway. But, you know, where, where if Philip was looking at the problem and he was looking at his need, and he, like us, do what we so often do, he allowed the need and the, the extent of the need to overtake his focus on Jesus. Andrew came up with a plan. Andrew came up with a plan, and he gave him five barley loaves. Five barley loaves. Barley would have been the cheapest grain possible. So this isn't like a, a, a decadent meal. This is, this is a snack from a poor kid. So that makes it even worse, Andrew. And he takes these five barley loaves and two fish. And I love the pictures we have of this, you know, Sunday school or in children's Bibles. You know, these fish are like largemouth bass, you know, like, you know, two fish. In reality, they were probably pickled fish. Um, hors d'oeuvre size, you know, maybe even think of like a sardine. Like that's what they really were. And everybody's like really hungry now, right? Uh, probably not. But this is what he took. And, uh, and he said, but what are they so many? This isn't going to do much with all these people. But Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now I'm sure some of you have heard this before, but it's meant, it's a, uh, bears to be repeated that in the New Testament, in the first century, when we recorded history, they would usually only count the men. Sorry, ladies. I didn't make it up. They did. You know, but they would only count the men. So there's a really good chance, and most scholars believe, yeah, there was 5,000 men, and you can even tell this by the Greek, that this is probably true. Yeah, there was 5,000 men, but the number of people there was far beyond 5,000. It could be twice that. If you ask women and children, it could be more than that. Some scholars rate it could be close to 20,000 people there. Now, this area, this geographic area around Galilee, the the, uh, population during this time of Jesus was about 40,000. So it's possible half the population was there. Five loaves, two fish. So Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, to those who were seated, so the fish, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So now maybe you've done this before, maybe you've heard this before, sure, but let's, let's really focus on how impossible this miracle was. And just put yourself in the shoes of one of the twelve, okay? Philip's probably the most sane one 
in the entire, you know, group at this point because he's looking at 20, possibly 20,000 people, and he's like, we don't even have the money to pay, feed all these people, let alone the food. Andrew finds some little kid's lunch and says, what about this, Jesus, right? And then Jesus says, sit them down. Could you imagine? Think about this. Think about the greatest need in your life. Could you imagine Jesus asking you to do something that is so impossible and impractical? And you're just like, okay, I guess I will. Like, I'll sit them down in rows. You know, like, could you imagine saying, like, okay, well, sit down at this table. You sit down at this table. You sit down at this table. Uh, we don't have any food yet, but I'm going to sit you down like I'm about to serve you. Right? First of all, they're all doing that. And then they go to Jesus, and they just, one after another, Jesus hands them bread and fish, and they take it, and they give it to him. And then they come back, and they take it, and they give it to Jesus. All 12 of them. Could you imagine being one of these disciples? That each and every time you go and you grab bread, you grab the loaves, you grab the fish, and you take it to somebody sitting down, and you turn around to go back, and Jesus just has more. And more, and in the meantime, you're walking past the other buddies that you have, and the other disciples are walking past you, and they're having armfuls of stuff, taking it to people, and you're like, I don't know where this is coming from, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming, and you're just like, I'll just keep going to Jesus. Imagine what's going through your mind. Imagine what's going in your heart. This is an unbelievable moment. It should blow our minds, Christians, that Jesus did this. And it's not enough that they had as much as they wanted. It's not, it's not enough that they were so full that they were like, ah, oh, no more, no more. John tells us that, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftovers. Yeah, there's still leftovers. He must be, you know, Jesus would be great at Palmyra Grace. We always have so much food and leftovers. But this is what Jesus does. And Jesus says to them, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets. The Greek word for baskets here actually is not the word for a small little basket. It's for a really big basket. It's for a bigger than a bushel basket. So it's exorbitant amount of leftovers. One for each disciple. Or maybe one to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. We're not sure what God wants us to see, but it could be both. That there's leftover baskets filled with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had nothing. And the people, the people with this Passover heart looking for a new prophet, looking for a new savior, they looked to themselves. And when they saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come to the world. They recognized this may just very well be the new Moses. This is what they, this is what happened during this impossible that became possible. Now, how do you and I apply this to our life? When you, when you think about to yourself this morning, what is my greatest need and what do I go to Jesus for? This is one thing I think that we can learn through this today. I believe that we can learn that when we trust God with what you have, he will give you what you need. I think that's what we can learn from this. When you trust God with what you have, he will give you what you need. But I don't want to just leave it here this morning because I think that we need to talk about this through the lens of the rest of the story. So, when, But let's just start here. Trust God with what you have. What do you see when you look at what you have? That's the first question you have to ask yourself. When you look at what you have, are you like Philip where you're like, I got nothing, this is impossible? Half a year's wages won't even take care of this problem, this need that we have? Are you like Andrew, who's like, I got this, 
but it's not much. How could you possibly do anything with this? What do you think when you look at what you have? There's something in our hearts that could, there's something that happens in our hearts that we're shaped by the culture to look at what we have as never enough. Do you realize that you and I are shaped every single day by this word, scarcity? Do you realize, I, I was, as I was praying through this this week, do you realize that one of the reasons we have a hard time looking at what we have and giving it to God is because our entire culture runs through a lens of scarcity? Do you know what I mean by scarcity? That there's never going to be enough, that the resources are limited? A definition for scarcity that I have is defining God's provision by your limitations. And do you realize that we're shaped by this? Our entire culture, culture runs on this. You think to yourself, I'll never have enough. And that's not something that scarcity, that scarcity lens is not part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But it's ingrained in Western consumer, consumerism. It goes like this. My kid has to be in sports as early as possible because there's only so many positions on the good teams. And if he doesn't get on the good team, then he won't get into the good college because there's only so many scholarships. And if he doesn't get into the good college with the good scholarship, he will never get the good degree. And if he doesn't get the good degree because there's a limited number of good degrees, he'll never get the good job. And if he doesn't get the good job, then he's going to fail because there's only so many good jobs. And if he doesn't have the good job, he'll never get the big house. And if he never has the big house, he'll never have the good family. Right? And this is what we're shaped by. Or we think to ourselves, okay, well, this is my kids, and I love my kids, but there's never enough time. So I've got to make choices between this and this, because there's not going to be enough time. And there's never enough time. So we have, to, we have to sacrifice time for this, or we have to give more time for this, because there's only a limited amount of time, and life's only a limited amount of time. And every time I talk to somebody that's older than me, they say to me, you know what? You better make the best of it, because there's only a limited amount of time, and before you know, they're going to grow up. So I'm just constantly nuts because I'm like, okay, well, do I pursue the sports so they can get into college or do I spend time with them? Because apparently it goes like this. Isn't this true? It runs our culture. It runs our politics. That there's only a limited amount of this resource. And because of that, we have to be shaped in competition with each other about everything. And we refuse when we look, when we look at what we have and we have problems, we have needs in our lives, we have a lens, we approach a lens, we have a view which we approach with God every single day when we offer him what we have, that it's never going to be enough. And it affects our faith on a regular basis. It gives us fear, it gives us anxiety that there's never going to be enough. It makes us selfish, it makes us want to hold on to what we have because there's only so much of it. And if I give this away, then somebody else is going to get what, what I need. And then people take what I just shared with you, that if we give God what we have, he will give us what we need. People take things like that, and other pastors and other Christians actually twist what I just said there into a lens of the health and wealth gospel, that the purpose of following Jesus is to get more, to get more stuff, to get more material gain. And you really, the health and wealth gospel is not the gospel, it is another lens of viewing the life of Jesus and what he does for us through the lens of scarcity. That there's not enough, so now I've got to follow Jesus so he'll give me more stuff. The lens of scarcity, even self-sufficiency. Some of us, some of us, when we think about what we have and when it comes to our needs, we approach God through the lens of scarcity. Trust God for what we have so he'll give us what I need. I'll tell you what, God, you just need to give me this, and then I'm good. I don't need you. And our prayers actually are shaped this way. We only pray to God when we're short. 
I don't have this. God, I need you to come through on this. We only pray for pray to him when we're short, when we, we don't have enough. But the Christian life, what we see through the lens of the story of Jesus this morning is that God is a God of abundance. That God will give you what you need. If you trust him with what you have, he'll give you what you need because he's not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. He's a God who will give you everything. In fact, God has more than enough to give. If you go to him, he has leftovers. That's who he is. He's the God of abundance. But here's the thing. For you to be able to experience this and for you to be able to live this out, for you to be able to approach him in the time of need through the lens of abundance, you have to have a personal experience of the unconditional, unbelievable, what we just sang about, the reckless love of God, the infinite love of God, the forgiveness that he gives, that he pours out freely over and over again. Only then when that grips your heart and transforms your life can you move from a lens of scarcity to abundance. But guess what it takes for you to live in abundance? It's only found when you find yourself in complete dependence on him. You know what's scary about this? You know what's scary about dependence on him to receive his abundance? Is it means that you have to give up the control to get more that you're shaped and culture by wanting through the lens of scarcity. Jesus says to us every single day, he says through this story this morning, put what you have in my hands and just see what I'm going to do with it. The dependence on me, giving everything to me, is where you find the abundant life. Trust God with what you have and he will give you what you need. Now we look at what we see when we look at what we have, but what do we really need? Now stick with me just a little bit more, okay? Don't, don't, don't check out of me yet. Because here's the thing. John gives us more to this story. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in Luke. He gives us more to this story than it is really, really important to this story. Because here's what happens in this story. Jesus leaves after feeding the 5,000. He goes away. And through the night, he walks on water. That's coming next week. Come back. It's a good story. And the next morning, Jesus shows up on the other side of the lake again. And the people are there. The people are there because they've sought him out because he fed them. Remember, this is the first century. They don't have grocery stores. They don't have refrigerators. If you want to eat, you've got to work. Somebody's got to make it. But Jesus just gave them a free meal, and they saw that he's abundant in what he gives. So they follow him to the other side. And so John tells us when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I love that. It's almost like sarcasm. Like, oh, imagine seeing you here, Jesus. We didn't look for you all night just to find you for a free meal, right? Right? <laughs> and Jesus says this to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me because you saw the signs not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus calls them out, and he can call us out if we apply this principle incorrectly. If you give God what you have, he'll give you what you need. So what I need is more stuff. What I need is more material things. This is what I need. And Jesus says to them, no, you came to me because your bellies are full, but your perceived need is not your actual need. That's what he tells them. 
It tells them that when we look at what we have, we don't feel like we have enough. And when we think about the things that we really need, we're only thinking about the things that are physical, that are material, that we want more of. So that it'll put us above the other people in this lens of scarcity. And Jesus says, your perceived need isn't your need. You're following me for the wrong reasons. You're coming after me for the wrong reasons. And they say to them, thinking once again of Passover, they say to Jesus, but our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. They say, listen. You're the new Moses. We've just realized this. We saw your signs. We've declared you're the prophet. And guess what? God, through the prophet, gave us food for 40 years, and we didn't have to do anything for it. So we're going to follow after you so that you can continually feed our stomachs, because we know who you are. And Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. So the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives not bread, but life to the world. And then they said to him, sir, give us this bread. They're like, sir, give us this. You're our meal ticket. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, your physical hunger is transcended by the spiritual hunger you have. Your thirst for more is transcended by your spiritual thirst. Your search to eat more is transcends is transcended by your need to actually have spiritual food. That's what Jesus is trying to say to them. And aren't they pathetic? Don't you want to read this and think, oh my gosh, what's wrong with them? Because they're like, oh, he's talking about bread. Give us some more food. But listen, let's not pick on them too quickly. Because if we look at, if we give God what we have, he gives us what I need, get what we need. Aren't we the same way? Isn't it? possible for us each and every day to pursue a relationship with Jesus, the God of the impossible that makes all things possible, to only pursue him so that he will give us the stuff that will make us feel good. When we think about our need, is that why we're pursuing that? When I said to you, what's your greatest need today? Do you pray prayers that say, God, I just need you to get him into this? Or God, we just need you to get by this. God, do we, we, just, we just need more money. I need this check to come through. God, I just need them to get a good grade. We need this scholarship. God, I just need you to heal me of this illness and I'll be fine. And then once we get what we need from him, we, can, we keep going in life until there's another thing that we have a shortage of and we reach out to him again. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. But this is what we can do. And Jesus says to them, and, and, and this is what they're saying. They're saying, okay, you're talking about bread? Give us bread. We'll take it all the time. And then Jesus says this. No, no, you don't understand. Your hunger, your thirst, your concern for your stomach is all off because I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And they still don't get it, folks. They don't. They still want more of him, and they believe if they give him what they, ha- what they have, that he's going to bless them in a way where they'll have abundance of all the material things, all the gaps in their life, all of the things that they feel are scarce, that there's a shortage of, and they're hoping that he will bless them with that. And so he doubles down, and he says something insane. He says, not only am I the bread of heaven, but here's the deal. Unless you eat of my bread, or eat of my, my flesh, and drink of my blood, you can have no part in me. In other words, unless the only thing that you pursue when you're hungry, unless the only thing that you pursue when you're thirsty, unless the only thing that you pursue when you feel like you have a need is more of me, you will never be satisfied. 
And you need so much of me that you need to take all of me. You need to be completely dependent on me. And at that point, you will find satisfaction. And you know what they said? This is too hard. This is too much. One translation actually says, they say, your words are too difficult. And all of those people, possibly 20,000 people, turned and leave. And the story goes on. You can read it this week. I encourage you to. Jesus turns to the 12. And he says, you're going to leave too? Are you going to go find out, find someplace else to get your food? Are you going to chase after the bottle to fill that hole? Are you going to chase after binging Netflix to find that hole? Are you going to chase after the approval of others to find that hole? Are you going to lust after things to find that hole? Are you going to turn from me too in your greatest need? Or are you going to seek abundance someplace else through the lens of you thinking there's never going to be enough? And Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You only have the words of eternal life. You see, they got it. At least in that moment. Peter goes a little bit back and forth, as you, you know Peter. But in that moment, he got it. He got the understanding. The, the lens of scarcity puts a limit on what God can do because we put a limit on him in our time of need based upon the parameters that we are trying to live by, that the world is shaping us by. And Peter says, no, I see what you did there. I see that even if you could feed 5,000, 15,000, 20,000 people and have abundance, that in my greatest need, if I completely depend on you with everything that I have, that you will open up the floodgates and fill me, not with more stuff, but with more life. And here's the challenge, folks. Here's the challenge that we have today. When we trust God, when we put our hope in God, when we put our trust in Him, when we want to follow Him with all that we are, we have to change through the power of His Holy Spirit the view of what we have. Because Jesus doesn't want our material things. Jesus wants all of us. And He says, if you trust all of me, trust all of you with me, that I will give you everything that you need, and you will find abundance. John 10.10 says the, the deceiver comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know what he does? He always wants to make you see what you don't have and want to find it someplace else. He's done it since Genesis 3. But I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you life more abundantly. Folks, it's not until you see that Jesus' miracle... This impossible thing that was made possible. It's not until you begin to see that what Jesus is doing through this miracle is giving us a picture that there is absolutely no amount that is too little for him to pour out abundance. And his resources are infinite. Twelve baskets left over. But don't approach him through the lens of I need more material things to fill the holes in my life. Approach him through the lens that, Lord, I'm going to give you all of me, all of my brokenness, all of my struggle, all of my needs. And in, a, in return, you promise to pour out abundance on me. And it's not going to look like the world says, it's going to look like your word says. 
It doesn't look like I need more of this. It says what, what uh, Paul says in Philippians 4. I have learned that it, what it's like to have little, and I have learned the secret to what I have much. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he says it from a prison cell. That is what it means to follow Jesus. That is what it means to trust God with what you have so that he will give you what you need. And when you walk into that abundance, when you live life through that lens, the way the world tries to shape you through this lens of scarcity, tries to pit you against other people, tries to fill you with fear and anxiety, it sends you trying to grip for other things to fill the holes in your life. They won't even take good their ability to quench your thirst won't be that way anymore. Their ability to fill the holes in your stomach and make you not hungry anymore, it won't work anymore because there is nothing that you will find that will satisfy you the way the bread of life will. If you trust him with what you have, he'll give you everything you need. Does it sound impossible? Yeah. But he's the God who makes the impossible possible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can see through your story here that that we're a lot like we're a lot like Philip. When we look at the needs that we have, when we look at the moments of our days, or maybe 2019 so far, and we say to ourselves, you know what, it hasn't been a good year yet when we look at our greatest need and we think there's no way that this could be satisfied but lord sometimes we're like andrew and we look at what we have and we say it's not enough it's not much and man the world just tells us day in and day out that we got to start scraping and striving for more and more scraps because that's all we have we confess we're like that sometimes. Well, I confess that sometimes it's so much, it's so hard, I'm so shaped by it that I seek to pursue to fill those holes with things that are not of you. And each and every day, I'm just hungrier for you. Lord, help us. Help us to pursue you. Help the people in this room to say, no, we're not being shaped by that. We're not going to look through, look at life through a lens of scarcity. Lord, help us to do that. Because you're the God of abundance. You're the God of leftovers. You're the God who has always more than we need. And Lord, we as your church, Father Shirley, we as your church, we need to be shaped by that because we cannot minister to a world who desperately needs a different story, a world that desperately needs a Savior while we are still being shaped by that world. So Lord, transform us. No matter what our need is, call us to seek you with all of our hearts and to give you all of ourselves because we know that in return, we'll receive all of you and that's more than we can handle. And it's only then, Lord, that we'll be able to stand amongst those who need to hear good news, to stand amongst those who are 
striving after things that will just continue to bring emptiness and we'll be able to offer them that which never runs dry. That which never leaves us hungry and thirsty. That which is abundant, overwhelming, never-ending, dripping life. Found in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us today. Help us help each other. Transform us so that people see you in us. So people in this place who admire and who are surrounded by you come to know you and your abundant life. In Jesus' name we pray. So next week we're going to look at uh, Jesus walking on water. And I'm not going to sing this song from the 80s. Promise. If you know that joke, go look it up later. It's a good song. But anyway. I look forward to that, but hey, have a great week. Thank you so much for being here this morning. God bless you all, and we'll see you then.